I think you've got to leave that entire sequence. Yeah. You can't oh, yeah, just... It's all, it's all <laughs> staying in. Yeah. <laughs> the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree. The Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree. The Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree. The Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Shop Soccer90.com for all your FC Dallas, U.S. soccer, and international club gear. New in the store, Adidas shin guards in both youth and adult sizes. And Third Degree listeners, don't forget, you get to receive 25% off when you use the promo code Third Degree at checkout. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi. I'm Peter, and with me, my two buddies, first, Dan Crook. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I am doing fine. Are you doing good? Uh, I am. I've got a question for you. When you uh, get stuck in and win your 50s, do you Mm. buy your shin guards for those at Soccer 90? Uh, I have not before, but I am now considering it, now that I know they have them in the store, in both youth and adult sizes. Nice. And your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, the amazing Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzzard. Hi, Peter. Calling in today from Jake's right across the street from the stadium. <laughs> I thought they closed that down. No, it's still open. I'm hoping to try to land them as a sponsor. Get a little shot in there, boys. Hope they're listening. Oh, all right, Jake. I'm just I kidding. I have that. no idea. <laughs> it would be I, fun, though. <laughs> I, think they did, I think they did close that one down. No, I literally yeah. ate there for lunch today. Oh, well, maybe it was closed during the pandemic. And that they closed the Matitas next door and reopened it as something else. Uh, okay, so maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, there's a Jake's just down the street from me, too. I love what? that place. That's good. Their ham and cheese, their grilled ham and cheese sandwich, the number nine with a side of fries. It's oh. pretty kick-ass. I'll have to try that. Yes, quite good. Okay, we got lots to talk about. Unfortunately, sad face. The first loss of the season, and it was not pretty, boys. Saturday afternoon, San Jose 3, Dallas 1, and a 7. And don't think for a second the irony of a 17-year-old homegrown slicing through Dallas's defense and making a giant bowl of center back soup was lost on us here on the podcast. You know what's funny about this situation is that Lucci did, you know, the media today. And as he always does, he starts talking about, you know, chances not taken and how, if the game would have broke, and he went on to say, it's not like I felt like we're unlucky or whatever, you know, I believe that the game is what the game is. You take, you got to take your chances, but he's talking about like, you know, if we'd have gotten this PK or if we'd have gotten that or we'd have gotten the other thing, you know, we'd have been up and we'd have been right in it. I mean, all of that's kind of true. But he all it, it glosses over what to me are like some fundamental issues. I'm like, he'll, he'll never publicly have these moments where he says, yeah, we were bad at this. We were bad at that. And, and just, he always talks about these other things. And so... I, I can't for the life of me think that he actually thinks that they weren't bad at certain things because then when I go watch training, I see the reaction. So I know he knows that they were bad at those things. He just won't ever, I don't know whether he's trying to protect his team or he doesn't want to call it individuals or doesn't want to talk about specifics, you know, cause there was a 20 minute call today where he talked about nothing but soccerisms, you know, and God bless Lucci and all that. But 
man, sometimes I wish he would just say something real. The, the call immediately after the game was really the same. You know, it was a lot of, oh, you know, it's a game of moments and moments taken, moments not taken. Um, ask him, you know, whether I thought the the incident with Hara in the first 10 seconds was a penalty because he hadn't actually seen it. And so what does it matter if, if I think it is or not? I'm asking you about... You know these these moments where defenders fell asleep and thought the ball was going out of play, so let's stop. While uh, meanwhile the the little kid's gone and and scored, and you know moments where they try where they get a corner gets headed away, and suddenly they're like, well, we don't need to actually track back, except for Brassan who is running his little tiny slow legs off, uh, <laughs> while while the rest of the team just stand around and have a barbecue. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. We talk, or at least I do, uh, and maybe I beat it into the ground, but I, I do think that's part of the lack of experience that Lucci had coming into this gig was dealing with the media. You know, um, Oscar used to talk a lot about part of the reason why he wanted to go other places was to experience the pressure, the really serious pressure of uh, sports media in other places, and I'm sure he got that in Tijuana. He didn't oh, yeah. really... <laughs> he never really got it here, obviously, and and I, you know, and that's just part of the gig. You know that you know the job's dangerous when you take it, and Lucci is still very much learning uh, that role. And and some coaches are really good about protecting their players and finding ways to spin the story and in, in directions away from their players. And some coaches are just super honest about what their teams did or did not do well. And I can see why that was frustrating today, Buzz. There's, there's also something, you know, players and coaches used to get media training. I remember like, having calls with uh, Clavio where, you know, I remember a call about Christian Coleman and, he, and he's kind of like going off about how Coleman's disappointment. I was like, hey, man, sorry if I'm like putting you in a position, you're asking you any, any of those questions. He's like, nah, I mean, I'm just trying to give you the quotes you need. That's, that's what we're here for, right? Oh, Clavio was the best at that. Yeah, I mean, all I wanted him to say was like, yeah, we got trucked in midfield. We're going to have to make an adjustment. And instead, I got a 10-minute speech about <laughs> chances not taken and opportunities and how the game is just. And I'm not saying we're unlucky. And it's like, you know, I, I know that you, Lucci, that that's not – that you have an analytic mind about the game. I get all that. But sometimes you have to – publicly, I think it's important to sometimes say, here was a mistake. Here's what something that went wrong. So people will know – that there's some recognition that something went wrong and that you're going to fix it and not just assume that you're going to do the exact same thing. And the only way we know is because I happen to go to training. So I was able to tell you that they're changing some things, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just, I just sometimes wish, I mean, I, listen, I like Lucci a lot as a person, you know, I just wish that when he would give answers, they were a little more, I'm not going to say honest because his answers are honest, his answers are honest, but they're not real or grounded. They're very speechy. And today was a day where I listened to him for 40 minutes and walked away with nothing that was, I have one thing I walked away with. I want to talk about at the end of the podcast that is, I think is sort of telling, but other than that, it was like, it was 35, 36 minutes of just stuff, you know? Well, Luchy's a, ta- Luchy's a talker, he right? Is a talker. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a lecturer. Yeah. And I think we've expressed our yeah. concern that sometimes the players just tune him out. Uh, you know, I, uh, he never stops on the sideline. He's that type of coach. And uh, we're in year three of this, and I guess uh, time yeah. will tell. I mean, I, I think that does lead into a, a larger question. But here's the reality, and this is my one comment, was it was, you know, the team so instantly out of the box on Saturday 
uh, through pure effort and determination and hustle, created two really good opportunities uh, for itself to take a one or two gold lead literally within the first, what, three minutes of the game. And the one thing that has continuously plagued this team, even dating back to the Prea years, is simple finishing. And if they had just finished those one of those two chances, I'm not convinced that game isn't very different because I think maybe tactically the teams kind of change up because of the, the early score. I mean, that's a fair take, and that's exactly what Lucci was talking about. And, and by the way, they worked on that almost the whole day today, offensive combinations and finishing. But so clearly he saw it too. I'm just saying that sometimes it might be nice to just say that, you know, right. it's no, like, I, I get yeah, it. I get it. Yeah. I totally agree with you that like, and he's right too. If that, ten, or that 10 minute run, if you get one, there's a goal line save. If that goes in, or even if you got Franco Hart to play like that for another 10 minutes, and not stop after the first 10 minutes, then maybe we'd have had a different conversation. Yeah. So it's like the, the big takeaways from the San Jose game is not like that you got destroyed. There was one gigantic major flaw this team has in its formation. And then other than that, it's like it wasn't really, there wasn't a bunch of bad individual performances other than Hedges being injured, which is not Hedges' fault. You know, that's why is he starting, you know, when he's playing Erd. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Well, let's uh, let's dig into the formation issue, and and I think there's a lot of confusion over what formation Dallas is playing because we keep referring to it as a three four three, but I you know I've heard other people try to describe it as a more uh, tactically advanced three four two one, and and it's it's not that definitely. Yeah. So what what it, because look. Can we all agree that whatever they're doing, whatever, however you want to describe the formation, it's miserably broken. Yeah. So somebody tried to ask him today about tactics and we got a 10 minute discussion about, and on a certain level, which is true, right about this. And I'll answer your real question in a second, but Lucci went for another 10 minute thing about how the shape is just sort of a starting position. And there are all these responsibilities for space and roles and you have fluidity. And he started citing all these teams around the world. And of course, all of us in the college thing wanted to say, you don't have those players but it's, you know, the, the general principle is true, though. As you say, I call it a 3-4-3 because that's what it actually is on the field. And that's the problem because Hara plays as a false nine. So he's deeper. And the mm-hmm. wings still play as wings. So you get a front three. The, the, what Doyle and other people have called a 3-4-2-1, which is the same shape in principle. If you actually play that way, which is with you have two tens below a high striker, then you have four guys in midfield and you control the midfield and you control the game. And that's the fundamental issue is because they don't do that and they have the front three still. Then the two guys in midfield get isolated. And against San Jose, the whole game or not the whole game, the first 60 minutes it's three versus two in midfield. So every time San Jose goes through there, it's just bink, 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 and they're through. And every time Dallas plays a pass into either Tanner or Acosta, they're instantly double teamed because there's an extra midfielder in there. So that was the whole problem for the first 60 minutes. And it was, they finally switched it. And then from 60 minutes on, there's a 4 3 3, and there's a 3 v 3 in the midfield, and it's fine. And that's, you know, if you can't admit that that's a problem, if you can't admit that, like, it's not a 2-1 and it's a flat 3 and that you're getting overloaded in midfield, I, I, I get the idea that there's fluidity in roles and probably some of that fluidity is supposed to be the wings are supposed to come back 
and sit on top of those guys and make that square, but they're not. And we have to talk about that because it's got to get fixed one way or another. I didn't like the way, uh, you know, you talked about uh, that fluidity and, you know, as long as there's a guy in the in the midfield coming from wherever, right, which we saw with Ryan Holland said the last two games kept kind of drifting in. That's fine, but that's happening because Andres Ricarte isn't that kind of, you know, middle of the field eight. He's he's going searching for the ball and, and uh, you know, Acosta's trying to fill in a gap. And so, you know, you, you're abandoning the midfield and by trying to fill the midfield from the right back position, you're abandoning, you know, really your, your strongest area of uh, of attack from, from the back. And, you know, it's talking about fluidity too much kind of, you know, eventually uh, he's pouring that glass of water out and there's nothing in it. All right. But I want to talk about the one thing that I just can't figure out, and we touched on this last week, but it continues to make me nuts, especially when I saw the starting lineup in San Jose, which is it appears to me that in Lucci's mind, it's Brisson greater than any other, any center midfield option he has for a starting lineup. And, and I don't get that. And especially in San Jose, I certainly don't understand because I'm look, I'm the kind of guy that would love to see as many homegrowns on the field as possible, but I certainly did not understand taking Ricarte off and putting Tessman on taking your best playmaking center midfielder and not starting him on the road just seemed ridiculous to me. And I, and I don't, and I fundamentally don't, I've yet to hear Lucci explain why he's stuck on this three man back line, three center back thing. Yeah, that's the kind of answer that Lucy won't ever give us, anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it comes down to, as he says, you know, what, what he likes to say is he has faith in the personnel to do the jobs there, you know, whatever. It's the same platitudes, right? And we try to talk about the fact that in that role, Brisson is the basically the aggressive center back. And and to be fair to Brisson, he might have been the Dallas' best defender the first two games because with Hedges playing hurt and Martinez being new. Brisson's actually been really good. But that doesn't change the fact that you were short a midfielder. And, it, you know, it's I, my assumption, and because Lucci won't get into it, is that he knows that San Jose is a place that Dallas has done poorly in the past. He's still trying to build team cohesion, still trying to build like a defensive base like he likes to do. And so my gut told me that they were going to San Jose looking to keep the game 0-0 and then get it late. That's their tactic. Now, granted, the last two years – They've been horrible on the road. And so maybe he's trying some things to see if he can get better on the road. I don't I don't get it myself because sometimes you gotta just be who you are and not be trying to be tricky, you know, because you be tricky and you get smoked sometimes. Um, okay. That's I, not I, an answer, Peter. I know. I don't have an answer well on this I, one. I, I don't I get it either. But see, I think the fact that he won't answer the question allows me to speculate, and I'll admit I'm speculating, that yeah. that just indicates that he doesn't trust the midfield options that he has to do defensive cover, which then takes us back to the question I've asked a thousand times and nobody will answer. Why in the fuck did you sell Santos then? Uh, yeah, that's a good question because Luigi even mentioned that today. Um, and so, One of the things I want to talk about later, Santos came up um, along those lines and basically that that as you say it shows that right now he doesn't have confidence in the midfield options and remember he mentioned that tanner had come back from the national team and was trying to get integrated still i mean uh poppy told me one time that it takes two weeks 
for players when they come back from the national team to get back on board with everything that, that they're doing locally, yeah. which is yeah. amazing sometimes. You know, and and the other guy he trusts, Jesus, is hurt, even though Jesus is a nine this year. You know, and he's got Acosta, and, you know, he's lost his defensive bulldog right there in the middle. As much as we think we've heard Surreal's had a good camp, obviously the faith is not there either. So, you know, that's the bottom line. I, I talked about this the other day, was like how short Lucci's bench really is. It's like the starting 11, and then there's like three players he trusts, and that's it. They, uh, mm-hmm. Past that, he doesn't trust anybody. So he doesn't have a lot of cards to play, frankly. All right. Now, Dan, help me out here, because as I was watching this game and I was watching the prior game, it seems to me that the overall tactical idea, like the plan once they have the ball, is for somebody to give the ball to either Ricarte or Acosta as they're checking back to them, and then one of those two guys turn, spin, and just kick the ball up the field trying to get in somebody in behind. That Am I wrong in describing it as that's kind of a general plan of action at this point? Uh, yeah, that's that's something he's actually been trying to institute all three years. Uh, you know, uh, Reto Ziegler did it last year. Brassan's been doing it a little bit. Acosta's been doing it. Um, Martinez has done it a couple times. Uh, you know, it was always the idea was play out from the back, and if you can't break through the line, you know, there will be someone who can just kick out ahead of the wingers or, you know. And it's just... But that's going to okay but that but that takes me to this question which is I know we're going to spend at least a few minutes uh chewing on Hara's performance but in watching the first two games while there are certainly things about the way Hara plays the game especially when he's finally not in, engaged that we don't like but as with continuously through the the last several years with this team, I can never quite put my finger on if the issues with the lack of goal-scoring opportunities from our number nine is singularly on the number nine himself or the fact that we just don't have a tactical plan to really effectively use that person in the box. I mean, I think uh, certainly looking more to the present, uh, the the tactical concept absolutely uh, fails him. Uh, You know, you want a Pepe or a Jesus, someone who can be a little bit aerial, who can chase the ball uh, in that 3-4-3 with the false nine. I mean, Hara was brought here to be a guy that's in the box and just right. taps the ball in, and and they're failing him on that and on that aspect. Sure, if you actually had the personnel to play that four, uh, three, four, two, one, yeah, you've got two two tens feeding him, but you haven't. You've got two wingers that keep running into him because they're trying to cross over and and find themselves in the box more than he does. Yeah, somebody asked me whether I thought the midfield overrun problem was what contributed to Hara having, you know, a really quiet. Van game where he vanished most of the game. And I said it, the part where he vanished that bothered me wasn't the fact that he didn't get the ball because that's a team concept problem. The part that bothered me was that for 10 minutes, he pressed and was active and engaged and he created problems and almost scored twice. And then that stopped. And then in the second half for five minutes, he did it. So like the, the capability is there to be doing some good things in this scenario. It just doesn't happen for the whole game. It only happens for this little bitty window at the beginning of each half. And so is he running out of steam? Does he just give up because no one else is helping him? I'm not entirely sure what the issue is, but that good play was only there for 15, maybe 20 minutes of the time he was on the field, not the whole time. So that's my complaint on this one because I do agree with you that this particular 3-4-3 does let him down. 
All right, and I mentioned it earlier, but I still haven't gotten a uh, – I don't know if it came up in the press conference after the game or in today's press conference. Was there any discussion of why he took – he did not start Ricarte and put Tessman on instead? No. No. You know, I, I think somebody does that sort of seem asked, weird to you? Does that seem weird to you guys too? Yes. I You know, uh, Ricarte is your best uh, passer in the terms of breaking the other team. Well, he has the most key passes. And so like taking him out is like taking out your creativity. That, that kicks back to the idea, I, I the thinking I had of like, we're going to the Bay to keep it 0-0 zero, zero, and then we're going to try and steal it late. Because you put Tanner in there, with you leave Acosta in there, you have Brisson there, and you work your tail off for 60, 70 minutes. And then you bring on some exciting players. I mean, they did it at the 60th minute because they were down 3 nothing, But, you know, that was the general game plan in my head. Yeah, we, tactics. we talked last week about the possibility of it and in how, you know, if you have Tanner in there, you know, just with the way they have that, that man-marking system and then they have the, uh, you know, the defensive midfielder steps into the opposition half, kind of creates an extra problem, creates that that overrun, that, that Tanner would be there to kind of negate that, but that absolutely didn't happen. He just kind of disappeared and... You know, I think at that point you you look at it as you would have been better having Ricarte on the field. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting about this formation is is it's brought out a uh, a bit of an aggressive, nasty side to Brian Acosta. Like I've I've noticed him getting more aggressive in his defending, going in on tackles a little harder. Um, you know, kind of dancing the line on getting thrown out of the game here and there. And I and I don't know if that's a if that's uh, something that he's decided to do. I don't know if that's a reflection of him being frustrated with their inability to keep the ball and she's just acting out. I, I don't know. Did, have you guys noticed that in any way? Oh, yeah, I love it. In fact, I think he's been one of the best two three players on the team this season. You know, Lucci mentioned in the spring training that Acosta was really determined to uh, make up for last year because he knew he let the team down with how hurt he was all the time and how much he was gone. So I really like this change mentality and that you're talking about and he's cut out those blasts over the top so like those two things combine with he shot at all though <laughs> no no, no, but, no shots. yeah i mean but <laughs> okay. whatever it's not happening i mean it, maybe it's from lack of opportunity but whatever it's not there so you know for me you know when i when i it's quiet it's hard to notice it but for me he honestly has been as good as he's ever been for this team now there's you could ask questions about what you're paying for are you getting what you're paying for that's a totally different conversation. I'm ignoring right. for now the salary and just saying like what I'm seeing on the field, this is the best he's ever played for Dallas. And these two games, you can make the case along with Jimmy Maurer and maybe Rasan, honestly, that those have been the three best players for over the first two games collectively. Yeah. Have you ever thought we'd say that? I know, right? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like I was looking at the passing charts and, and everything the other day, and it was everything was Brassana, Costa, Brassana. I mean, Acosta is top five in every single good stat. It's... Yeah, Brisson is top two in X assists and uh, goals added. I mean, there's only been one goal, but it's like, nonetheless, it's like those two guys are playing above themselves and what we're used to. So uh, credit to them in that sense. You know, not that that's the answer we're looking for because he's a DP, but, you know, he's been oh, good. All right. Well, then let's talk about the three center backs for a few minutes because, I, I you know, uh, I'm not a huge Brisson fan, uh, although I will admit that he's played fairly well and, and, and hit Matt, I did not realize Matt was playing on uh, an injured ankle, and I suspect we're not going to see him now for a bit of time. But we all have to admit that incident, the incident, the third goal with the 17-year-old kid, 
with your three starting center backs getting spun into the ground by that kid was a that will not go down as a highlight yeah. <laughs> in the yeah. FC Dallas reel ever. Well, you know, I, Martinez uh, – go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, I asked uh, Matt after the game about that instance. Like, hey, you guys, like, you know, you seem to stop and, and start talking when when the, the ball seemed to go out of play and then Fiera kicks it upfield. And he's like, no, 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 no. No, we, we knew exactly what was happening. It was like, really? With those no. recovery runs? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Martinez got caught by a weird – deflect but then was on the wrong foot and then Hudges lunges and you know that's one of the first things to teach the defenders not to lunge but uh quick update on Hedges yes he sprang his ankle in game one was playing with it swollen and wrapped it clearly limited in movement once we found out obviously that's why he was lifted he was not in training today just completely gone MIA so does is he inside rehabbing is he at the doctor I have no idea but he definitely was not there today so uh, it for sure is a question. It's bad enough now. I mean, why they didn't shut him down before that? I mean, it begs the question, like if the guy's that hurt, why is he not listed as probable or questionable? Why did you bother starting him? Just put it a little later on, solve the problem with the thing. They're, they're just that determined that Matt is going to get in there. Now, of course you, we've talked about Lucci's. If you're not, if you don't train on Wednesday, you don't get to play unofficial guideline. I'm sure Matt Hedges is a guy that rule does not apply to, but um, you know, good chance Hedges will not be available this weekend. It was a little bit frustrating as well because Matt had been poor through preseason. He was poor, you know, below his standard before the injury in the first game. Just, just let him rest, let him recover, let him get that form back. Don't force it on him. Don't make it worse. How old is Matt now? Uh, twenty-nine or thirty, one or the other. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, he I mean, thirty recently, I think. I mean, the clock's ticking on his career. There's no question. He's only got a couple of years left, probably. Uh, 31. Mm. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. I'm looking at All the right. roster right now. But, you know, so at least rotate him a little bit. And certainly with a banged up ankle, let's give him a rest. I mean, so if he plays this weekend, I mean, I won't be shocked, but he shouldn't, you know, when you're missing in the middle of the week and you got yanked at the 60th minute, you know, it's, and you got this swollen, taped up ankle. All right. But let's just assume Hedges, uh, let's pr- take Hedges' injury out of this. Do you. F- do Buzz or Dan, you go, either one of you go first. Do you feel like playing three center backs has resulted in a better defensive scheme and pair of performances than if he had played the standard setup with a third center midfielder and you can insert whoever you want into that, whether it be Tessman or, or sure. uh, Surya, whoever? Dan, you want to go first? Um, I think the only person that's benefited is has been Brisson. I mean, that being that aggressive third centre back is kind of p- plays into all of his strengths. Hedges hasn't, you know, injury aside, didn't really look himself in those last couple of preseason games. So, uh, you know, you are, even though you're only slightly moving him from, from uh, right centre back to kind of more, you know, completely central, it kind of seemed to take him a few steps out and create a little disconnect there and maybe that's with the three four three as well with uh holland's head being pulled away as much as anything but it, it just looked off the answer to the question peter is no <laughs> thank you <laughs> i like what all that stuff dan said but the answer is no it's not better 
Well, Dan yeah. answered a slightly different question, which is yeah. he's right. The person that's benefited out of this is Brisson. Yeah. And, and and that gets back to my original point, which which is all of this just feels like some weird mechanism of Lucci wanting to get Brisson on the field and not about really putting his team in the best formation uh, possible. You know, that's Wait, funny you said did, that because I had did somebody. Did I just that... Lucci? Did what? Did I just Lucci? <laughs> Yes, yeah, you did. You in fact, kinda, you kind of pulled a Luigi. Congratulations. Yeah, Mr. yeah welcome Kirky. to the club. Uh, it, it's funny that you said that. I actually had an insider type person before the game last week say to me, you know, this has got to be just to get Rasan on the field, isn't it? And I was like, I hadn't thought of it that way. But, you know, it's yeah. Like I've said twice now, and I said it earlier today and I said it last week, too. Look how short Lucci's roster really is. Other than the 11 guys that started, Paxton will come into a game. I was going to say Tanner, but he started. You know, Brisson will come into a game. I mean, who else? Oh, Pepe. That's it. Right? I mean, the Monjoma got in last time when it was already 3 nothing. That's not a real sub. That's John. No, right. Right? Yeah. Yep. Who else will Lucci actually sub in? Uh, Nikosi Tafari? No. Emetu Omasi? No. Seely. Go down the list. Who? Sealy? No. Sealy gets Elmacar. garbage time. Uh, Elmacar just got here. No, garbage time only. Not real play yet. Nope. Paxton's it. Jesus is hurt. It would be Jesus. It's it's literally like the 11 and then three guys. It's like yeah. nobody else really plays. It's it, yeah, and that's very worrisome. But I do want to I do want to talk about one aspect of and and we'll get to uh, Obreon and and Vargas here in a second. But I do feel like there are two people out of all of this that have really suffered the most, and it's not their fault, and that's Johnny Nelson and Ryan Hollingshead, who, I, I like, the formation confuses me so much as to why he's playing those. I mean, neither one of them are playing in a position that suits them. Ryan is on the wrong side of the field, and Johnny's not a wingback, at least in my knowledge, by nature. Yeah. And I think both of them clearly are struggling um, in being impactful on the team, so much so that there are weird stretches of time, and I don't think he's—I don't think this is by design. Where Ryan is like popping up in the weirdest places on the field. Well, he's doing that because the wings, as we've talked about, it's this flat front three, so the wings are sitting on top of the wing backs, and we all know that the the one of the best parts about having wing backs is their ability to attack down the sideline and become that extra overload. Well, that can't happen if those if your higher wings are actually out high, sitting on top of those wing backs. You destroy that ability. So Ryan's, I mean Nelson's best offensive ability is crossing. That's completely negated. And Ryan's going walkabout, trying to find the game and find an opportunity. So he's cutting inside. He's going underneath. He's trying all these things, you know, to to somewhat decent effect. Of course, he's got a good xg or whatever, but it's definitely it's definitely not working for sure. Um, okay, and then the new guys, we've seen two games of uh, which so far. I, I, I kind of get the sense that uh, a little bit of the hype that we developed over seeing him play in preseason has been a little watered down now that we've seen him play against two starting lineups in Vargas. Well, they're better teams defensively. I mean, obviously they played an expansion team and they played Houston, who's not very good and or wasn't, and then a bunch of USL teams, so... You know, it's a work in progress. I, I'm actually not. I'm not worried about Obreon at all. I, I'm not sure where you are, Dan, but I think that his pace. It'll be a little bit of time for them to sort of get everybody on the same page, but that pace is going to be good enough that eventually he's going to get. He's not going to score 15 or anything, but he's going to. 
he'll be, you know, like Castillo in his first year where it gets better and better and better as they go on. And then Vargas, I think it's the same thing where he's just run into better players, you know, and it's just so far, it's just not quite as impactful. He's still the fulcrum of the team though. They still play through him more than anybody else, you know, so there's some recognition that he's the best option when they get to the front three, but uh, you know, it's going to take some time. They're not as good as we maybe had thought or had hoped because they played somebody trash, but you know, it's, it's still there. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, completely with you there on Obreon. Uh, just looking at some stats after the game and, and realized that uh, he is, you know, he's three from three shots in the box or shots in general, all in the box. Uh, I think a big part of the, the issue that we've seen is decision making in the final third. And, and he's, you know, we've seen previous years when you had guys like Coleman or Teixeira who would get into great positions and then not take the shot. They would try and lay it off. And uh, other than that moment, like two and a half minutes in, when he'd uh, closed down the defender, won the ball, and then tried to lay it off to Hara in a crowd of players, uh, you know, he's he's actually being quite decisive. It just, you know, when it comes to crossing, maybe it's it's not always coming off. All right, so at the 60th minute, the game is 3 nothing. It's completely out of hand. Uh, and then Lucci finally makes some changes. Oh, wait, the one thing that we didn't talk about when we were talking about um, uh, the kids spinning the three center backs was also the injury to Maurer, which was uh, weird because I didn't actually – I've never quite figured out how he hurt himself. Was it his shoulder, and it, did he just fall on it funny? Well, it was his shoulder. I'm not really sure what he did either. It may have just been the way he turned his body. Um, Luigi said it's a sprain, and I think he's going to miss one, maybe two games. Um, so, you know, so opportunity for Philippe, obviously. Of course, when somebody said that to Luigi, he said, yes, of course. Oh, wait, and, and Zobek also is in competition. Well, come on. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we know. It's Luigi being Luigi. It's Philippe. Uh, it'll be – I mean, it, I suppose – no, it's Philippe. <laughs> it can't be so bad. So, uh, you know, that's who we're going to get for a game or two. And then I'm sure, you know, the, the, the short answer is Maurer's fine. He's, he wasn't there today, too, obviously. That's not a surprise. The other keeper that's in camp, actually, is Antonio Carrera, who's the U17 keeper, who I assume will be signed as a homegrown sometime in the next year. Okay. Uh, but 60 minutes, they do not only make some personnel changes, they uh, make a tactical or formation change. And then suddenly again, you know, San Jose is up three, nothing. So they don't, they, they can also kind of change their attitude too. things at least looked a little better, right? Yeah. And this is, it, it, it in fact looked like the quote, triple pivot where Acosta is playing holding and then packs in a Ricarte in front, you know, that's kind of exciting. I mean, it, it actually starts working again, like you say. When you're up three nothing, it a lot a lot a lot of things. When you're down three nothing, a lot of things are a lot easier. But um, credit that they started playing, and started working, and and Pepe got involved and got a goal. And you know, it's amazing what happens when you actually aren't overrun in midfield. <laughs> you actually have three v three in there, a couple of guys that can break a team with passing or dribbling, like both Pax and Ricard, they can. So okay, now assuming that in fact Mister Hedges is injured, the irony of this is that may force Lucci's hand to play a four-man back line instead of three center backs, which may allow for some of the correction that that we all are hoping for. But my question is, Buzz, if Hedges, if he has three center backs available to him for the game against Portland on Saturday, do you think Lucci sticks with the three-man back line? Uh, I think not because... Um, if it's I clearly remember, not working. It's only not working. And I remember, if I remember correctly about... Portland is they play with pretty much a straight high striker single. 
they play the same 4-2-3-1 everybody plays, but they don't overload very much. So it's just the one guy. And then you have to worry about the overload midfield with, uh, you know, all their amazing players. So um, Vieri, whose father passed away recently. So, he, but is, he's around. So I'm assuming he's playing. Um, they have a Club America sandwich, by the way. Club America down there Wednesday, then at Dallas, then back to Club America in Portland. And then the week Saturday after that, they got Seattle. So Dallas is the, in the middle of those four games. It's the throwaway game. It's the of throwaway their... game, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know, As well, uh, with they did a defense, uh, Portland doesn't have a striker at the minute. They have uh, Jeremy Ibobase uh, is injured. He's, he's just coming back. Uh, Yaroslav uh, Nizgoda is out with that ACL tear from last year. They had uh, Blake Bodley, a left winger, start up front as like a almost a false nine with Felipe Mora on the bench. Presumably, Mora is going to play uh, against America, so they you know they don't have a recognized striker at the minute. So you know yeah. it would be crazy to go over back three. I mean, Blanco's coming back. I think it's how you say his name, Bronco Blanco. What the fuck it is? So he's, he's still a way out. Yeah, um, you know. So it's just a question of. I, I'm assuming they're going to, I mean, they did a two man back line the whole day today, you know, but then again, Hedges is missing. So, you know, Hedges could walk in and play a back three. I, I can't possibly think that's going to be the case. There's just no way it's been so bad. And as we just discussed, Portland doesn't have that kind of strike, the double striker threat that makes you really need it where you need it is the extra guys in the midfield. So um, based on what I watched happen today, I'm very convinced it'll be a four, three, three again, uh, with some personnel changes too, which will be kind of fun, I think. Hmm. Does it does it bother either one of you based on the idea that we may have a coach that chooses to fundamentally change the formation of his team based on who he's playing instead of forcing the other team to change to their form his formation? Well, that's it does bother me. Um, but that's that was Lucci's second ten minute speech today was about how the formation. <laughs> doesn't really matter. And there's all these roles and space coverage and all this kind of stuff and how the yeah. six drops in. And I, and I, he's right about all that stuff, but I think I, I believe the formation matters for comfort and consistency and how, you know, like, again, look, this isn't Liverpool. This is FC Dallas. You don't have those guys. You know, you have guys that don't know what they're doing or are still learning or are not up to that level of standard. So I think this consistency is important. But you're going to see the four three three, and there's a couple of changes that we can talk about in a minute. So I think I would like him to sort of pick a base formation and not change it as much. But he's married to this tactical fluidity idea that he can just switch it up all the time. Uh, I don't, I don't like it, but I'm not a coach, so what do I know? Right, and I don't have a coaching license, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert. But let me, I would push back on Lucci and just say all of what you just said, sir, is completely reasonable and understandable. But Bersan is not a midfielder, and when you take in a midfielder out of the field, you and and put Bersan in the back line, there is a cause and effect of that, and clearly it's not working. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It, I, it's, you know. So all the talk of people moving, it's not like Basson, it when they've got the ball, is suddenly rushing into midfield to help cover or be creative or or progress the ball forward. He's just another center back. Yeah, I think the, the analogy Lucci makes is when they're in the build-out situation, when, even in a 4-3-3, the outside backs step forward, the center backs separate, and the six drops in. So right. it looks just like a 3-4-3 when they're going forward. So that's what he's talking about is like, if I start Brisson there, it's not any different. 
It's the same roles. It's the same build. It's the same coverage of space. Okay. Well, I'm, but, yeah, but, I mean, but, I, but, no, but listen, no, you're arguing no, with me. I agree with you. No, no, no. But what the point I want to make is, is that yes, he's correct. But if that person carrying the ball out is Brisson, wouldn't you yeah. prefer that person to be Ricarte or Tessman or Acosta or yeah. Santos for Christ's sake? Yeah, totally. I a hundred percent. I get it. Yeah. I, I mean, agree. Yes, I understand tactically that they're all interchangeable things, Lucci, but they're not the same player and they all have different skill sets. And that's what I think is clearly failing him is this concept that he can have a center back pass the ball out of the back just as well as any of these midfielders who, by the way, are better passers. Yeah, the Dallas, the Dallas center backs are decent passers, but they're not exceptional passers. But and none of them are good like dribbling out of danger. That's one of the things Justin Shea was really good at relative to the level he was playing at was that he could dribble out of the back as well. And so could Richards, which is why Byron wants to pay $50 million for him. That's an exaggeration. But, (laughs) you know, again, it comes down to the idea that you don't have the players that I just had a conversation with somebody the other day that the modern passing and dribbling center back is the new nine, as they call it, in terms of the value and the importance of it and how it's worth what do they pay for McGuire? $80 million or something? Right. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. like those talent levels and skill levels are incredibly, incredibly important in the modern game. And while we think Dallas has some really good defenders, they don't have those, those guys. They have, you got to understand your limitations and maybe he finally has, maybe that's why it's back to the four, three, three. Maybe he recognizes it's not working. So yeah. it's going to happen. I don't know if there was a like a come to Jesus moment with the players or not, but I know like Leach talks about, you know, this it's not really a change, it's roles. You know, talking to Hedges after the game, you know, I mean, I don't know how much of it was like he was just feeling a bit uh, pissed off, you know, being sore and and none losing that game, but you know, it's like we've we've been playing in this formation for three four weeks. We you know, it's still new. We're still trying to get to get to grips with it, which. You know, with what Lucci's saying is that that shouldn't be a case. There shouldn't be any teething problems there because they have these same roles throughout the game that just evolve. Mm -hmm. But the reality just isn't that. All right, so Portland is here 7 o'clock Saturday night. Uh, Assuming he does have to, his hand is forced and he goes back to a 4-3-3, who do you think the other starting is? Is it Ricarte... Tessman and Acosta? Well, let's start in the back, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's Brisson and Martinez, right? That's center back. That's a given. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, sir, are getting an early birthday present. Based <gasps> on what I saw today. November. <laughs> I know. It's way early. Based on what I saw today, more than likely, Ryan Hollingshead's back at left back. Okay. Which is good, right? That's what you wanted. Uh, well, uh, you, <laughs> I, I thought you'd be way excited about that. Well, you totally let no, me down. no, well, hold on. Yeah. I, 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 I like Johnny Nelson as a defender and I think him playing as a natural left fullback way more fits his game. And I'm more way, way more interested in seeing him play there. But now I want to know who's going to play right back before I decide if this is a good well, or a bad thing. Lucci still was trying some things today, but the bulk of the time was Ryan left and Eddie Munjoma making his first start on the right. Okay, well, I'll buy that. I mean, yeah. I think I, I feel bad for John Nelson because I think he's there's a really, really quality defender in there who is uh, getting a, a, a real short shift because of the way his team is us- utilizing him. Yeah, I agree with I agree with you on that. 
for sure. Now, the other rotations we saw were Emma Tuomasi got some time at right back. And then there was a rotation where Nelson was with the the first team at, as the left back and, and Ryan Hong said was the right back. So those are the options. But the, the, the most of the time and the starting of the time was Ryan left, Eddie Manjoma right. So that'll be interesting to see. And I'm going to have a little bit more on that a little bit later. But um, the midfield is back to a three. Uh, and it looks pretty much like the triple pivot idea that we kick around where the person playing six is not really a pure six, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the part that's interesting, however, is the person playing six was Tanner who of course is really good at long passing and can sit in there and is big physical and intimidating. So he was the, he was the more six ish guy and slightly ahead as the traditional eight was Acosta and the free eight was Ricarte. So, and then the front three is unchanged. Har is still in there. With uh, Vargas and O'Brien, so that was the most common version uh, that we saw today, and what I would assume will be the start. With Tanner is the six, basically, which is interesting. That's new. Tanner is a six. Well, it certainly would allow us to see and check out the status of Hara playing a more natural, you know, playing a a position he's more uh, better. He's more better. He's better suited for um, in in that particular formation. Well, the most interesting thing to me will be if it works is the idea that you'll now have three midfielders all who can do some decent passing. You know, if you put Edwin in there, his passing is very simple. It's win it and get it to the other guy. Whereas Tanner will try and switch the play and break the defense. You know, so that's now he doesn't play as good as defense as Edwin, but you know, he plays pretty good defense, relatively speaking. You know, he's Hmm. probably a better six than say Ricarte would be. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I the other the other way I thought you might see it would have been Acosta as the six with like Tanner linking or even Paxton and Ricarte in front of Acosta, but Paxton's still not, I think we're still a month at least from seeing Paxton be ready to start. So yeah. Any uh, buzz? Did you have any thoughts on Paxton's uh, time in that game and whatever you saw at training today? Uh, you know, he could every, every game, he looks a tiny bit brighter, tiny bit better. You know, I, there's definitely not a 90 minute fitness there for sure. You know, but every game, every time I see him, he looks like he's a little more committed, a little more aggressive. You know, it's progress in the right direction. As long mm-hmm. as it's not another setback, I really like where it's heading. Uh, let's just not be in a hurry. You know, <laughs> I know everyone wants him to be the start and be the guy, but it's like you got to be, I don't know, four or five more games, including this one, maybe four or five more games right before he's ready to start. Probably that's a rough mm-hmm. guess. Probably. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and there's no reason to force it, you know, because he'll be in the mix as a wing, too. You know, he's mentioned that. He even mentioned wing back. <laughs> Remember? So he's in the mix at left wing, possibly right wing, possibly. He can play a bunch of spots in Lucci ball. Lucci loves those moving those guys around. I think he just looks like a kid that just wants to get on the field and try out his oh. parts. Yeah. Doesn't he always though, Paxton? Yeah. No, yeah. that's why we, we love and adore him. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is kind of a no win situation for Dallas because if with the changes, Dallas comes in Saturday and clobbers Portland all of us, many, not all of us, many people will go, well, yeah, this was kind of the throwaway game for Portland. It was in between their two CCL games. They have a Seattle game coming up. But then you also then have to go back, and if Dallas plays poorly or loses that game, uh, the fact that uh, – and by the way, didn't – Dan, didn't you have like an insane list of people that are missing from, uh, even in addition to the people that you mentioned earlier that Portland are missing or potentially missing this weekend? Uh, yeah, they're down to one senior goalkeeper. Their their other two are injured. They've uh, uh, they've got Andy Polo, who's been out of the country with uh, since before the season started with a green card issue. He's just got back, and 
I mean, he's going to be in no shape to play either. Then you've got the the few that we talked about. Uh, you know, they they really can't afford to lose anyone uh, for those CCL games right now. Yeah. yeah. Not when they got the Club America twice and then Portland and then Seattle. <laughs> it's like you don't want to. Um, Dallas, on the other hand, you know, their next three home games are a depleted Portland, Houston, and RSL, both of whom aren't any good. And in the middle of that, you go to a Minnesota who's 0-2. So, like, you better rebound fast over these next three or four or you're going to be in a bad shape when you start to get into your LAFCs and your, you know, Chicharitos who are playing really well. <laughs> Boy, are they. He's going to score is, 60 goals this year. Is he ever. Oof. Uh, okay. Yeah. And the other thing that I saw they announced today that had, you know, you know how you are about numbers, Buzz. Yes. Yep. I am equally as adamant and hard old school about is kit assignments. And I'll be damned if I was the official MLS kit assigner, what they are doing this weekend would never happen under my watch which is they would not wear their secondary jerseys at home. Yes, the lovely Powder Blue is making a debut, uh, and they're wearing it for the first time officially in a regular season game at home, and that is a high-kit crime in, of the highest order. I'm That's a quick a crime they've committed before, though, because you remember that every time we get a new road jersey, I they do know. that. I, yeah, yeah, I, I hate it, too. One pass a season. They're allowed to use it. It was fine. Okay. Well, they did. A couple of other MLS teams did it this week, this past weekend. I think Philly did it, and uh, somebody else did, too. Well, that so. explains why they changed the website. What did you think of the red with the white shorts and socks? Oh, I. you know what? I thought it looked really good. I was super excited about the red, white, white, but then once I saw it, I think I would have preferred red, white, red. I think I would have preferred yeah. red socks than white socks. Yeah, I buy that. I just, I love seeing a little bit of a variation in there on the road is fine. You know, I don't want to screw up the home game, but the, the road game, it was a cool mix and a little different. I liked the, it just proves that I think white shorts with that red jersey are way better than the blue, but um, I with you, I think Red Sox would have been nice. Yeah, what will be interesting is that Portland, I'm going to assume, are, are going to wear what I saw them wear the other day, which is their new uh, half panel green top with their white shorts, and that mm. looks cool. That That's a good look. I was surprised to find out that the the left half panel is almost a black green, which is continued on the entirety of the back of the jersey. So when you see Portland from a distance, they look like they're wearing black jerseys uh, with green sleeves. Doesn't everybody in MLS wear a black jersey? Isn't that what we do? It's actually the the color of that super dark green jersey they had a couple years ago. Right. Which when you contrast it against the color of the... 2011 one which is the other half is you know just crazy different yeah uh so that will be an interesting kit matchup a kit assignment for this particular weekend and yes if we've mentioned it before mls at least for the first two weeks have been releasing the actual graphics for the kit assignments Uh, and this is the one mystery that we haven't talked about because for the first two weeks they continuously have made assignments that include a referee wearing a color that is not dissimilar to one of the goalkeepers. And it bothered me, and I went back and looked. Every game has the referee wearing either this kind of highlighter green or a light electric blue. And they do not appear, or they haven't worn it yet, 
because typically referees have as many as four, if not five different colors in the United States, which would also include a red, a black, and a yellow. And the red, black, and yellow do not appear to be in the mix, at least not so far. Uh, Capelli is their kit uh, supplier this year. That's probably why, because they had that switch from Adidas to... uh, um, What, does Capelli not have a red... Red well, or a black or a yellow? They definitely don't have the resources that Adidas does. Interesting. Hmm. Well, that's funny. Like when I was a kid, there was even pink and orange refs jerseys. I mean, you can make them whatever you want as long as they're different oh, than the team. Do you remember the original uh, green in the Premier League? That like really weird teal green? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, yes. Um, I mean, for a I long did. time, the refs in the Premier League wore green because there were no green teams. And so it was easy to pick green and <laughs> just go with it. You know. <laughs> So uh, I guess the big question is, and this is probably, and you may have already said this and I missed it, but I'm assuming there's zero chance that Pepe is going to start on yeah, Saturday. Yeah, there's zero chance. It's Frank O'Hara. Um, there's two reasons. One is despite the fact that Pepe has phenomenal statistics in terms of what he's doing, there still is a little bit of a team concept disconnect. Like Lucci's made this comment about finding a way to stay in games. I think he means that you know staying in terms of uh, involved in the play and inv- involved in the team concept. I think that's what he means. But more specifically, it's because of Frank O'Hara. And uh, it has to do with, this is the way I read read it anyway. This is my theory on why O'Hara still starts. Um, when you have veterans in the locker room, especially when you have a resume like Frank O'Hara's, as a coach, you have to respect that. These are grown men and everybody in the locker room is looking at the coach and looking at the, how, the way he treats everybody else. There's a hierarchy to these teams, a hierarchy of resume, a hierarchy of experience. Like if you were to go sh- crap on Matt Hedges, people would notice that, like if, if Lucci did that. And the same is true with Frank O'Hara in the sense that like he has these skins on the wall. So at the start of the season, you have to give the veterans a legitimate run or else they're going to, if you just go with a kid and just bench that dude, then he's gone forever, mentally speaking. You have to give him a real chance, which is why, for me, Frank O'Hara will start five or six games pretty much guaranteed at the start of the season, no matter how bad it is, because you have to get that real run in real games, as I'm using air quotes about here. Coincidentally, that might be just about how long Jesus is out. So that's why, I mean, you certainly can't drop a guy of Hara's resume for an 18-year-old and keep the locker room. You'll lose the locker room overnight if you do that, you know, because all the older players will be like, well, that, that guy, why, he can do it to me. Why should I bother busting my tail or whatever? You know what I mean? So there's a man-to-management, roster-management aspect here, and I'm, I'm 100% convinced that's why Hara's still starting especially with Jesus out. And let's keep a firm eye on that because Lucci said how important Jesus was going to be as a nine this year. So let's keep an eye on when Jesus comes back, how many games that is, and maybe that's the time. Yeah, I, you know, the thing is, it's been interesting to watch kind of a national reaction online when the lineups have come out for these first two games because there does seem to be some sort of misunderstanding or or perception that no matter what, because Dallas is so good at producing all of these homegrowns that there will always be this uh, overflowing number of homegrowns in the starting 11. And, and Buzz, you were the one that started telling everybody weeks ago that this is going to be a season where that's very unlikely. 
but it is a bit ironic considering this, you know, the perception of what this team's purpose in life is and that it's MLS side doesn't seem yet to be the, I don't know, honing ground for those guys in terms of starting yet. And I, and, and that's one of the weird disconnects about the, the long-term on-field plan, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the last one to really break through, you know, was Kellen Acosta and, and Jesse Gonzalez. And Paxton was well on his way until all of his injuries problems. And basically, Jesus is the one that has probably done it the most, or, you know, becoming a surefire thing. You know, but really that's – oh, Brian Reynolds. Reggie, Reggie Cannon. Reggie, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there are guys coming through, but then those guys move on. And, I, you know, if Jesus was he- healthy and Paxton was healthy, I'm sure that this wouldn't be happening. But – at the same time, Dallas went out and bought all these 28-year-olds, you know, so there's definitely a trend towards non-home growth. You know, we're going to see Tanner this weekend, I think, probably. You know, see Monjoma again this weekend. That'll probably happen. So, you know, it's definitely there, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean about the home growth. Um, okay, let's uh, throw out some other stuff that took place. So uh, if go- the great news for FC Dallas is that their main business Modus operandi is working like a fine Swiss watch as today they announced the signing of yet another homegrown. Yeah, uh, Colin Smith. Um, listen, I'm going to be brutal for a minute. I did not think Colin Smith was going to make it to MLS as a wing. You know, I know he's done some good things in the academy. I know he looked bright in moments in North Texas because the kid is ridiculously fast I get that. But to me, he was too one-dimensional. I did not think he had the game for MLS, which is... Now, first, let me give you some qualities about him that I love. His engine is phenomenal. His work rate is great. He's an amazing leader, really stand-up guy, good locker room guy, fantastic person to have on your team. Just not enough creativity for me up front, which is why I suggested that they try him as a right back. And lo and behold, he's played right back this entire spring for both FC Dallas and North Texas Soccer Club in training. So obviously they're pleased enough with that that they have now decided to offer him a homegrown deal. Now it's possible that they also think of enough of him as a wing. I didn't see it. Of course, I'm not the arbiter of who they're going to sign by any stretch of imagination, but I, I think it's because he's done so well as a right back, showing some qualities that they really love and when they, they love to convert uh, attackers to outside backs. So this is the typical flying kind of winger. He is a good crosser. That's a good uh, quality for that position. He can cut inside and shoot underneath. That's another good quality that they like in that position. He's going to take a while to learn defense, and people are going to have to be patient with him in terms of defense. He Today, I saw him. He was wearing FC Dallas gear, but he spent the whole day with North Texas. I don't think you're going to see him on the FC Dallas official roster, just like Benny's not. Although Benny traded with FC Dallas, Colin's still training with North Texas. I assume he'll play every game with North Texas pretty much all season. He did include in the press release that he's on a season line to North Texas. Oh, there you go. See, Dan has their info. So how much of this is just the business of, uh, you know, the business of selling players and to keep Colin happy, uh, he won't accept a North Texas deal because nobody wants to make Fifteen dollars an hour playing soccer professionally um, is the fact that he, if you sign me to an FC Dallas deal, you know, for a, a, a fair, legitimate amount of money, at least you get my rights and you can sell me on. Uh, no, I versus think this, him actually being somebody that's going to turn into a an actual MLS product for Dallas. No, I think this is the next Cannon Reynolds right back. Like we think. Oh, really? Okay. Joma, you know, this is Emma, like Emma's playing right back now. This is their 
you know, and now he's a little bit younger, obviously. I think he's just 17 even just recently. So, you know, he's got tons of time to progress still. You know, it's good for him to stay with North Texas for quite a while. No, this is legitimately, I think, this potential superstar. When I wrote the thing about playing him right back, what I said was, I don't see it for MLS as a wing, but this could be, maybe he'd like an opportunity to see if he's the next $10 million right back. This is that level of athleticism. I might mean, listen, I don't want to be this stupid cliche about athleticism because in some ways he is lacking a little bit of the like um, tight space bouncing kind of cutting quick cutting kind of stuff, but he is super, super fast like Reynolds was, you know, and has this great verticality, which they love out of their guys. And he is a phenomenal, as I said, leader with tremendous work rate and a great guy to have in your locker room and on your team. So there's lots of love here about this kid. Now that the conversion seems to be working, I actually think it's a great signing. And I think that it's one, obviously not for this year. It's one for like two or three years down the line to be that next guy in this right back or left back, whatever the case may be. This time it's right back progression. Buzz right. is just happy that he's not playing as striker in the academy in the number one jersey anymore. <laughs> yeah, he also wore the number one in the field, which made me so mad. But <laughs> it just makes my brain hurt. No, man, no, I'm so happy because I didn't see it happening as a wing. I didn't think he was going to make it. And I think he could be great as an outside back. Okay, uh, Dan, you're the one that we have tabbed to keep tabs on this. Can you give us an update on what's going on with the Ajax kid that they've signed to be yet another winger? Yeah, uh, the the Shern guy. I'm trying to think what his name. Is. The Shern. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, Shern, I know Shern. It's it was the Shibolux. Yeah, Shibolux. Shibolux uh, and Shiburn uh, is uh, actually he was due to arrive at the end of the month, and now saying it's going to be the end of next week, uh, pending confirmation of travel. Um, the surprise part, maybe because he's vaccinated and the new. Uh, at the new regulations as he will actually be available for selection right away. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Lucci gave us the old gotta be integrated stuff, but yeah, he'll be available real quick. Yeah. I better be integrated real quick. If he shows up and just starts banging goals and beating <laughs> yeah. the crap out of everybody <laughs> yeah. uh, for sure. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up was a uh, uh, buzz today. I don't know who gave you the pictures or maybe you took them when you were at practice or something. Uh, but we got photos of all of the safe standing area in section 112. Is that what the number is? Section yeah. 112 is now complete, and I'll be damned. It looks fantastic. Yeah, one of our patrons sent me those. Uh, yeah, it looks great. Now, it doesn't have the 100% safe standing foldable seat thing, but for, you know, all for what compared to where it was, it looks great. I think it looks great. Yeah, they found a way to cover up the bolts and the you know it's it's painted and there's cup holders. It, I don't know, uh, Dan. You're a one. You're you're the guy that comes from a country where standing up all game is where it was originated from. Is is this a good and proper setup now? Um, I mean, that's that's kind of what you would see in in a lot of non-league stadiums. Uh, that that is still technically illegal uh, elsewhere, which is why. You have the true safe standing that has the foldable seat. Ah. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, they've got the, the cup holders out, the old blue seats all, uh, all bolted in. And uh, it's, I mean, it was based on what Orlando has on the uh, on the purple wall. And it is exactly like that. If anything, it looks a little bit better. Um, now, the only thing they've really got to uh, worry about is... Uh, 
you know, just not being kind of out of sight still. Well, I will say this, uh, and, and I don't want to harp on this because we kind of beat it, uh, beat it up pretty bad last week. It, I think in seeing that, that just makes how they handled that first game all the more maddening. And the communication to the, I mean, they, they ended up with something so right, and yet they screwed up all of that first week stuff. The fact that it got to that point, it should have never gotten there in the first place, the way it was communicated, the way they tried to hide it and sweep it under the rug and all of that. I just, I just, it just m- m- drives me nuts that they can't figure that part of the off-field piece out. Yeah, especially because what the the makeshift solution actually turned out like a hundred times better than what it was what it was expected to be, um, and then the the final solution final solution is a terrible uh, term for anyone who's a history nerd. Um, the final product uh, was a uh, you know it's it's actually come out great. Um, yeah. I don't I wouldn't call it safe standing personally because to me that's old terracing, but uh, that's just me being English. Uh, I will say one other thing while we're talking about supporters. Uh, remember how the U.S. Open Cup final 2016, there was that awesome march in where the, all three at the time supporters groups uh, marched in with their banners, drums, flags, and importantly, smoke and flares. Well, that's actually going to return. There will be a uh, a march into the stadium from the the red lot, which is the one where uh, on World Cup way where the uh, all the restaurants and bars are. Uh, mm-hmm. Supporters will march in half an hour before the game uh, with with smoke and everything um, to the uh, the West Gate. Love it. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good news. Congratulations to them for getting that organized. All right, now the other thing that everybody should know is that the game is here in Dallas, and everybody should go to the game, assuming you can get a ticket and you, you know, all the COVID stuff uh, fits you properly. Uh, but there is, I didn't know this until Dan brought it up today, there is no English TV broadcast, and it's a really weird weekend because Channel 21, their TV partner, is airing a Mavericks game which is weird because the Mavericks are generally on what is now Bally's Southwest, the old Fox Sports Southwest. And uh, so Dallas, there, there is the new Spanish TV broadcast on Channel 29 if you want to watch it in Spanish. But if you want to see something in English, you'll have to watch it on your computer browser because they're streaming the game in English on fcdallas.com. But because the Stars are playing and the Mavericks are playing... They're having to break in a new play-by-play person. Yeah, they've had a a guy, I guess, who's interning, who's uh, been shadowing Mark and Owen um, recently, and uh, you know he gets his uh, he gets his turn this week with uh, Steve on color. Uh, one thing, if anyone kind of bemoans the uh, the streaming and it's really crappy, outdated nineteen nineties version of geo caching or geo fencing, <laughs> rather. Um, they are opening up the boundaries to the entire FC Dallas TV network. So, uh, you know, if you're in, uh, it's not College Station, but, uh, you know, uh, Wichita Falls and a couple of other places, as well as the TXO region, uh, you should be able to watch the game. All right. Or just go to the game, right? That's what we'd all... Or yeah, just go to the game because, you know, soccer and, and sport in general is, you know, is an activity, not a TV show. You know, they announced Atlanta's going to open up to 100% starting in May, and I know initially the Hunts had said something about June, 
Do you think that'll get modified and they'll increase that to 100% for FC Dallas games sooner than they originally stated? So the crowds can look the same. (laughs) (laughs) You're rude, sir. That was very un-English of you. On point, though. All right, fair enough. Well, okay. I, yeah, I think I think you know that. Yeah, through the end of June, basically, is what we're gonna. No, not but not part of that. That's what they originally said, wasn't it? it might yeah, be first, I mean, they've they've yeah. taken the first four games, and then they're gonna do that reevaluation. So, I mean, I guess we have to wait until uh, after the Houston game to find out. And then to uh, end the podcast, uh, the B team, North Texas Soccer Club, had a nice debut with a bunch of kids. And, oh, my gosh, there was some teenagers playing and uh, down in Arlington, and that turned out good for the home team. Oh. Yeah, listen, uh, w- defensively and without the ball, this team has a lot to learn. They're super raw. But I think there's more raw, attacking, fascinating, interesting talent on this team than they've ever had before, which is saying something because these teams have been great. You know, the Jaquel can score bangers like you wouldn't believe. Now he's slow, oh my God. but so's Wando. And somebody said, well, Franco Hara is slow. I said, yeah, Franco Hara scored 100 goals in Liga MX. You know, sometimes all that matters is you can score. That dude scored some bangers on the weekend. I, I love what he looks like. Gibran Reyes playing great. Uh, Hope Kozo is phenomenal. This kid they got out of Abilene has got so, so much potential. I mean, everybody on that team, there's there's so much potential there. Now, is it all going to walk into an MLS team? No, but it's, that's not the point of having 18-year-olds. Is in a couple of years, maybe it'll be, it'll be fascinating. And they play great soccer, just like the same, you know, nice, fluid build and attack, and they get forward. And now the defense needs some work. And the kid they saw, is it is it Mickey? Maldonado, Dan, is that his name? They signed Mikey Maldonado, yeah. Yeah, Mikey, Mikey. Oh, that kid looked legit. He was the best defender on the field last game. And mm-hmm. they got that kid out of San Antonio, San Diego surf or whatever it was out of San Antonio. Yeah. So, you know, and, they've done – And a Matthew Corcoran side. Oh, well. I mean, oh. <laughs> it's like, so credit to them for going out and scouting and find like Rio Ramirez from Fort Worth Vaqueros. I mean, they, they went out and signed these guys and then they bring in, and there was a chance he was going to start. They bring in, Oh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the kid has a chance to be the best player this academy's ever produced. I That's know. I just I in my head, I just I had this thing. Dan, you need to yeah. make this. You know the the meme where the guy's holding his girlfriend's hand and looking back at the girl in front. Yeah. You need to you need to put Buzz as the guy. You need to put Thomas Roberts as the kid as the girl he's holding hands with, and, and Matthew Cochran as the girl up front. Could you make that? Could you make that happen for me, please? Buzz is making some weird noises. Yeah, um, embarrassed. No, yeah. I thought you were gonna say the Randy Marsh meme. From South, the episode of South no, Park when they lose the internet. Gra- no, no, no. That's too. Uh, that's is too it, graphic. Is it I because think, he's fifteen? I, no, I think I think the fact that Buzz is uh, he's had his eye turned, his head turned away from Thomas Roberts to the uh, Matthew yeah. Corker, and yeah, Tommy Poo will be jealous. Very I different players. Very, very. Oh, jealous. totally. Yeah. Buzz, yeah. did you did you go to the North Texas game? No, I was uh, working. Do we know what the announced attendance was? Mm, no. Ooh, okay. No. No. Yeah, I just wondered. Well, what did you guys think? Did you watch? Did you what did you think? Of I didn't watch. No, I enjoyed I it. Watch. It was a, that, that was a fun game to watch. And honestly, after having to write the recap and everything else for the uh, San Jose game, it was like I, I my faith in the sport was kind of res, uh, restored. <laughs> I, is it available online? Can I go back and watch oh, yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's on, on the ESPN, ESPN Plus. Plus. Okay, yeah. I'll go back and watch. Didn't Knight Pickering play in the game? 
No. No. Uh-uh. Oh, I thought I saw him somehow on the roster or got in the game no, or something. No, no, he didn't get in. Okay. You know who, who right. did get in was Ramon Torres, who's the – FC Dallas premier player who had the four hat tricks in the that's who it was it wasn't night pickering it was that kid yeah yeah Yeah. that kid the kid is was like his high school MVP for like three or four years in a row he's he was the MVP of the premier team forever he's led that team all kinds of great places he had four hat tricks in a row in the Dallas Cup it's like how is he not in the academy I have no idea I mean obviously he plays like a position like attacking mid where they have lots of players so it could just be that maybe there's some politics I don't I'm not aware of I'm just super glad to see a guy come out of premier yeah and get invited to North Texas and get on the field I mean recognition of talent and in the not and not just the academy from other places they love it Anything else we need to touch on in this episode? Yes. Uh-oh. I have my one last thing that 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 really triggered me. Oh, here's, here we go. Here's Buzz's uh, yeah. uh, Steve Jobs' one more thing. Yeah, one more thing from Lucci today. He he said something I've been stewing in my brain for a couple of weeks trying to figure out what Lucci's doing. And then he said something today that just really triggered it to come together for me, and I wanted to talk about it. And that's what he called FC Dallas a developmental club again. Oh, and he, I know, I know. And he was he, this today. He got really defensive about it as well. God, he did, he did. But it. he specifically mentioned it in the context of you sell a guy like Brian Reynolds, his replacement's not automatically ready right away. You sell a guy like Thiago Santos, you have to develop his replacement. Okay, sure, I totally agree with that. So, but the reason what what it triggered in my head was is that Lucci knows he doesn't work for a team that over the winter he can go buy the five players he needs and plug them in. No. He knows he's not that franchise. Right. So what what triggered in my head was that is that Lucci knows that he's the team he has today, which we've talked about, there's like three dudes he trusts. He's trying to build towards the middle of this season when the team's going to look not completely different, but very different. He's trying to either develop Eddie Munjoma or Emma Tuomasi or Johnny Nelson or somebody at one of these out, outside back spots. He's trying to develop either Edwin or Tanner or somebody to play as a six, and it's not there yet. And he's trying to develop Vargas. He was raving about Vargas today. He's trying to develop Seeley. You know, he's trying to make these guys work for him. Because he can't just go buy somebody. So these three four three extra defender reactions, in a way, are sort of panic reactions to, I don't have anybody else I can play yet. I need four months of this season to get these guys to where... So like four months from now, is it going to be Munjoma and Tuomasi playing? Is it going to be Tanner's going to be sixing? Is Edwin going to be in there? It's going to be... Is it Pepe going to be starting? Is Jesus and Paxton going to be starting? Like the lineup today... I think Lucci knows it's not his lineup at the end. And that for him, again, it's all about development. And it just really crystallized today when I was listening to him talk. Yeah. And it just solidifies my uh, theory that it, FC Dallas is unlike every other MLS club in, in terms of its structure. It's upside down. It's it's not a MLS club that happens to have all these things underneath it. It's the upside down. It's this youth club with an academy underneath that, and then there just happens to be at the very bottom an MLS club that's actually there just to support all the other stuff. 
Yeah, and Lucci was adamant this spring about why can't we be the selling club that finally wins MLS Cup? Well, only because nobody else has ever done it. Now, you know, sure, he's this is the team that he's been hired by. This is the team that he runs. It is what it is. He's trying, I think, to develop, and he's trying to make it happen. Will he be able to? Man, I don't know. That's asking an awful lot. You know, even guys well, that they sign the, that are 28, they're signing them with the idea that they, it's a step up and get recognition and they can move them on again. So it's going to be, it's a lot, but I think that's what he is. Yeah. But here's the problem, Buzz. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to get into this too deep now, uh, but here's the problem. You can call yourself a developmental club. And that's the problem with that is, is that in terms of marketing and messaging to the potential season ticket buyer, well, do I want to, pay all that money for a developmental club that's never going to really win anything? Or if I'm the kind of soccer fan that is interested in that, aren't you mighty disappointed when you show up and you're starting 11, there's only like one homegrown? Yeah, I, I totally agree with I, you. Yeah, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a disconnect between the way they sell the team and what it actually is. And I, that's why I think as we watch this team move forward, and Mujoma might be the first one we're going to see it happen with, is like he's going to slowly progress this thing and it's going to become more of what you thought. It's just this initial reaction of this initial 3-4-3, this defensive mindset is like just try and get into the season and not get wrecked for the first five or six games. Because yeah. if you throw on all the kids, you're going to get wrecked. If you just throw them all on, it just doesn't work. So I, I mean, I agree saying, with you. I'm not saying throw on all the kids. I'm yeah. saying take, take a center back out and put Cerillo on and let him learn to play the six. Yeah. It's, it would be painful, but I agree with you. I, I'm on board. No, it would be painful. We heard he had a great preseason. We've seen, know. we've seen that kid do great things. I guess hey, we should you remember say, when he was nearly lined out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, maybe we should just say, apparently Lucci thinks it's going to be painful. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I'm with you, man. I, I would prefer just to put him in there and see what happens. I mean, it looks like we're going to see Tanner in that role. So we're going to see what happens and we're going to see no, Monjama right see back. It. So see yeah. what happens. So. Can I quickly say something? Oh, okay. um, you know, we've been talking about this uh, press conference today and kind of like the, the tone of it and everything. Uh, the Patreons, uh, Patreon subscribers actually do get uh, access to the raw audio that we record in these. So, ah. uh, yeah, uh, the patrons will will be able to, uh, you know, check that out and uh, listen to the full hour of rambling on between a, a bunch of people and, uh, you know, kind of hear some uh, a li- maybe a little more insight into the, the tones that were taken and the questions that were asked. All right, everybody, don't forget Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Shop Soccer90.com for all your FC Dallas, U.S. soccer, and international club gear. Don't forget, also new there, my aforementioned Adidas shin guards in both youth and adult sizes. And most importantly, you good Third Degree listeners of this podcast receive 25% off when you use the promo code Third Degree at checkout of all your gear goodies. Dan, thank you for your time and insight today, you wizard you. Thank you very much for your your presence and editing and hosting and just making us sound like professional people that speak professionally. Yeah, I did the editing. Yeah, he's editing. I'm just just the the Yahoo show monkey. And uh, Buzz, thank you, sir, for all your... I know you had to limp out to practice today, Mm. but uh, good on you for, for gutting it out, sir. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it was a hard walk. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. Hope you enjoyed this. Uh, we will speak to you next week on another fun filled edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Matthew Colgren. Oh, poor Thomas. I knew that was coming. Ooh.
Podcast.